Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome to this week's episode of Married with Movies. I'm one of your hosts, Samantha Mullet. See next to me on the couch is your other host, my beautiful husband, Chris Mullet. That is me. That is I. I you really do suck at at being the second one. Yeah, I, well, because you figure I have been doing this still less than I have been introducing a show in my life. So I'm much more of an expert at... I should just permanently host everything. I think I'm a really good host. Like, I, my career, my life, I should be mm-hmm. a host of things. I've been a great podcast host. I, I was always, I feel like, a better proctor than an improviser. Yeah, those who can't do teach. Ha ha ha, sucker. I was also really good at being, like, a wedding announcer and an MC the two times that I did it. Uh-huh. I just have a, a natural, charismatic personality it's because you're be myself it's because you're a douchebag i love listening to my voice yeah and people like listening to my voice as well and they tell me i do a good job at it i'm like you're right i should just keep talking hence why this is like the 344th episode of this podcast i might be approaching like a thousand lifetime podcasts i, I think you've done way it. more than that no so for pod swoggle we've done five there are like 508 and... episodes nine okay. episodes this run 344 right, so it's like... That's eight fifty essentially. And then there how many rock casts did you guys not do? Not that many, less than a hundred. Really? I thought you guys yeah. did more no. than that. No. Plus blank slate. Mm, probably like maybe like I don't know how many of those. I'm I'm close. I'm close to a thousand lifetime podcasts, which means you're still not an expert because it's like ten thousand hours or some shit, which I don't believe. So I don't know why I'm I'm going on and on. I really have a lot I want to talk about, so I really should just get started. It is May seventeenth. <laughs> I think you know why you kept going on and on, because you like to listen to yourself talk. <laughs> yeah, I said it in the I mean, the I think all we that. all know. Uh, if you're new here, we talk about our lives, we talk about uh, a bunch of other things. And Mullet's a conceited asshole. Yes. and You're all caught up. Welcome to 344. And we watch random movies, and we talk about it. Um, <laughs> so I have three major things I want to discuss. Okay. Uh, not to get into personal things. We're not doing personal things or anything uh, today. Um, or for the foreseeable future, we're going to keep it light and fluffy and, and fun. Um, first thing is, I totally forgot that we've gotten some listener feedback and interaction I wanted to share. Oh. Namely, our good friend Tatiana, a former guest of the show, who um, responded to uh, a couple of our most recent episodes, and I wanted to make sure that her words were shared on the podcast. I thought that we already said that we didn't have to talk about this on the show. What? Maybe relive this? Uh, so from the Josie and the Pussycats episode, she answered our question, here's what it was like to be a girl in 2001. Mm-hmm. I listened to my Hit Clips pop songs that only played for 60 seconds, which was like the second or third time Hit Clips had come out, or come up in a podcast form with me recently called boys on my dream phone to try to figure out who was crushing on me, spent hours playing Detective Barbie Mystery of the Carnival Caper and Detective Barbie 2, The Vacation Mystery on CD-ROM, just to name a few. I'm shocked that she still had CD-ROMs. Uh, I'm, I'm not. That was, like, right in the transition. Yeah, and then she uh, added that uh, on talk of consumerism, the toy consumerism was real. My Christmas list in those years were things from catalogs, probably Toys R Us's, with the name and item number, and still believed in Santa somehow because I was a dumb kid. Oh, Which, Trust me. Look, I, I, I'm a Christmas list-making son of a bitch. I used to circle things and star things. Oh, yeah. Leave it conspicuously on the table. Yes. 
Uh, and then about last week's episode, it's chapter two. She said, uh, Sam, you should totally re- read Stephen King books. Carrie is a quick read with a unique structure, and that's not about monsters, but still supernatural. I think that you would like it. Also, it turning small at the end reminded me of that Buffy episode, mm-hmm. Fear Itself, mm-hmm. where the gang all gets separated and terrified at that frat Halloween party, and when Buffy confronts the fear demon, it's just a tiny little creature and stomps on it. And, and that whole story was told in under 15 minutes. 50. Under 50 minutes, Buffy did it better. Hashtag Buffy did it better. So thank you for your thoughts, Tatiana. We appreciate it. And uh, if you want to get your thoughts and opinions shared on the show, and you don't have our telephone numbers like Tatiana does, you can email us at marriedwithmovies at gmail.com. Or, or slide into my DMs on Instagram at Jam With Your Sam. Is there ever going to be a cock-sucking time where I'm legitimately doing a plug for something and you don't interrupt me? I was adding to it. You can wait until I'm done speaking. But you like to hear yourself talk so much you don't break. You, there, there, there's no pause in your, in your, in your conversation because you think this is a monologue, not a conversation. You can, it basically is. You can tweet us at Mary W. Movies as well with your thoughts because I'd like to hear other people on the show besides just you. Um, so that's number one. Of three. The second thing was I wanted to quickly go over what the year 2021 is looking like for movies. Specifically in the Oscar race. Because I had so much fun. And I think you had fun as well. Watching the Oscars and going through like the Oscar movies from this past year. Did you not? I mean, yeah, it was fine. No, I did. It was nice. I had a good time. So uh, my old buddies over at the Ox- the Oscar Expert have been doing all their er- super early 2022 predictions. And they came out with a list of like the 53 movies that could be like... There's that many movies coming out this year? Well, this is just Oscar stuff. So not all these are confirmed. This is just like... A lot of these were supposed to come out last year. Yeah, because they're already I think a couple the of these year. have already... I think a couple... Well, all the Oscar movies always come out the second half of the year anyway. Um, some of these have already been pushed back, but I just wanted to like quickly highlight everything we have coming out this year that makes me very excited. Mm. So I'm going to do this very, very quickly. Uh, Nightmare Alley, the next Guillermo del Toro. Canterbury Glass, the new David O. Russell, which I'm not excited about, but it's very... I'm excited about it. Apparently I'm a huge David O. Russell fan. A Tragedy of Macbeth, a Joel Cohen-directed Denzel Washington movie about Macbeth. Uh, House of Gucci, Ridley Scott, Adam Driver, Lady Gaga... Soggy Bottom, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie with Bradley Cooper and Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Next Goal Wins, the Taika Waititi, Michael Fassbender soccer comedy. In the Heights, goes without saying. Dune, goes without saying. Uh, The Northman, the next Robert Eggers movie, the guy who did uh, The Lighthouse. West Side Story. Oh, you're excited for that? (laughs) Fuck you. Uh, Don't Look Up, which is the Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Adam McKay Netflix movie. I'm excited for that. A Journal for Jordan, Denzel Washington, directing Michael B. Jordan. Oh, Uh, yes. Annette, which is a French movie with Adam Driver that looks weird. French Dispatch, which was supposed to come out last year, the next Wes Anderson movie. Blonde, which Mm. is the Anna de Armas, Marilyn Monroe biopic. Um, The Last Duel, which is Ridley Scott directing a Ben Affleck and Matt Damon script. Uh, Last Night in Soho, the next Edgar Wright movie. Come on, come on. Mike Mills' Joaquin Phoenix movie. Uh, Spencer, which is Christian Stewart. uh, Christian Stewart. Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. Yeah, yeah. Being the Ricardos, the Lucy and Ricky biopic uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Uh... Uh, uh, Red, White, and Water, another Jennifer Lawrence movie. Some of these I don't have notes on, so I'm skipping them. King Richard, the Will Smith movie about the Williams sisters' dad. The Whale, Darren Aronofsky directing uh, a film version of that play about that 600-pound guy who's going to be played by Brendan Fraser, who might just be 600 pounds at this point. I'm not sure. What? Uh, I'm so confused. <laughs> uh, Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is uh, Michael Showalter, who did The Big, uh, the big Sick, doing uh, Tammy Faye Baker movie with Andrew Garfield. Uh, Swan Song, Marsha next, like, big movie, oh, The Eternals for MCU, Harder They Fall, which is an African-American Netflix Western, Ooh, the next that, George Miller movie, Tick, Tick, Boom, Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, Netflix musical, uh, Serrano de Bergiac, which is Joe Wright directing Peter Dinklage and Serrano de Bergiac, Stillwater, which is, I think has come out, like, six times at this point, um, Flea, which is supposed to be a really good animated documentary, 
Don't Worry Darling, Olivia Wilde directing Francis, uh, Florence Pugh. There's so much here. I can't even read half the stuff. Dear Evan Hansen, oh, the, yeah, that uh, Green sense. Knight, all kinds of interesting stuff. So this year is going to be dope. Mm. Uh, this year already has been dope as well because we watched two movies, which is the third thing I wanted to tackle. We watched two movies in the past week. Two weeks, really. Really, we watched them all this past weekend. First one we watched was we watched The Last Blockbuster, uh, ironically enough on oh, Netflix. Oh, I didn't even realize that we were watching it. I honestly didn't realize we were... I kind of... Yeah. You were kind of watching I it. I was mostly watching it. Uh, yeah, it's just a documentary about the, the rise and fall of Blockbuster, and specifically the one sole Blockbuster that remains in Bend, Oregon, which I, I want to visit at some point in my life. I'm not going to travel just for that specific reason, especially because one of my best friends, Andrew Zangri, already happened to go there and, and buy me movies. That's why we did a horror story on this show. It's because he got it from the last blockbuster. Um, it was good. Cute little, you know, worthless but fine documentary. I mean, I already knew all of it from watching last week tonight. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't, like, I liked that they focused on, you know, some of the small town aspects and yeah. things like that. They did a really good job with the celebrity interviews and how they kind of draped it up, but... It felt long even at like an hour and 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so that was fine. And then also on Netflix, we watched, uh, technically we've watched twice already. Yeah. Because well, our daughter's yeah, addicted twice. to it. We watched The Mitchells versus The Machines on Netflix. And... It was great. I have no problem saying it might be one of my five favorite animated films of all time. It was, it was so good. superb. It was really well done. Made me well cry done. like a baby because it's about a dad and his daughter <laughs> and jillian acts like she's going to college tomorrow i know uh she's got so much attitude amazingly act amazingly voice casted amazingly animated such a great spirit phil lord and christopher miller to me can do no wrong they, they, i think they, phil just, phil lord and chris miller in case i said that wrong they did such up. a great job well they're just the producers and, and the content the content and I mean, it was just... The director and the writer is the guy that does yeah, Gravity Falls, which I know has a, uh, has a big... I could tell. The animation style was very similar. Yeah, it has a big following on uh, online from you know the Disney Channel show. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. Sony Animation has been crushing it between that and Into the Spider-Verse. And I know oh, yeah. uh, Vivo is coming out this year as well, which is supposed to also be great. So they're, like to me, lately, right on Pixar's heels... Yeah, where, I mean, like, it was just super relatable. I, just I have no problem really saying I liked that movie more than I liked Soul, and I liked Raya. Uh, and Onward. And Raya? Oh, that blew Raya out of the fucking water for me. Jillian loved me? Raya, but Jillian didn't... Jillian you know, didn't say, hey, I want to watch that again, like, now. Well, because she we watched has to watch it Friday it again tonight. night. Yeah. We watched it Friday night, and she, when she woke up on Saturday, she's like, can I please watch this movie again? Yeah. And then she wanted to watch it today, so now we have to watch it this weekend. Which I'm fine with, because right. I... Right. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it, and it's not a musical. Mm -mm. It's got good music. Like, it's got a good soundtrack. It's got Rihanna. But it... It's not a music, and now Jillian just going around singing that song. Yeah, she loves no rap for music. People. Also, by the way, um, yeah, we're giving her culture. But um, um, it's just like it was just really, really good. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed if it. It's not on your radar, and you haven't watched yet. Watch the Mitchells versus the Machines. You will not be disappointed. Anything else? No, I don't think so. I was thinking. I'm not allowed Picture to think. Takes you that long? You can't You can't talk think? I was just making sure that there wasn't anything else. Well, let's get into the movies for today. I randomly drew out of the box. Uh, our next 30 for 30 set, set uh, was a two-parter. Uh, one was part of the original 30s, and then the second part was part of the second batch of 30. The U, part one and two. So we will each read the back of the box. Samantha, you will do part one. The U, directed by Billy Corbin. Long before the hip-hop culture filled our airwaves and shopping malls, the Miami Hurricanes brought street values and hood bravado into America's living room. Filmmaker Billy Corbin, Cocaine Cowboys, tells the story of how these bad boys of football changed the attitude and ultimately the rules of the game and how this serene campus was transformed into 
the U. That's because I was going to say Baron Corbin the whole time. I, I, I almost did. Ooh, this I is was much shorter. King, Beautiful. King Baron Corbin. Uh, the U Part 2, directed by Billy Corbin. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to do it. Yeah. I was going to die. The U Part 2 picks up where the original film left off, with the program trying to recover from the devastation left by NCAA sanctions and scandals that had some calling for the school to drop football. Very easy and quick and to the point. Uh, so, what, uh, these are the fourth and fifth 30 for 30s I believe we've done so far. We did... For the, the show? For the, yeah, we did the Red Sox, uh, we did the Four Days in October, we did the House of Steinbrenner, and then we did the Two Escobars. I believe yeah. that's all we've done so far. Um... So this is the fifth and sixth. I think this is, the Two Escobars, I think, what is definitely one of the most, like, critically acclaimed of all of them. I think the U is one of the most famous ones because this, Why? because this and Winning Time, which is what that specific disc the, shared, the, Reggie, the Miller, Reggie Miller one. Those two were the first ones that were about topics famous enough. Like, because when Thirty for Thirty started, it really was a niche thing. Bill Simmons' idea was like, let's get like the best filmmakers, whether they be documentarians or not, to make personal documentary stories about them. So there was like. There was about, you know, like the band from the Colts who, you know, and they kind of draped it over because the Colts left Baltimore to Indianapolis. It's about like Gretzky leaving to go play in L.A. So like there were stories, but like they weren't like mainstream massive stories. But like the University of Miami, as these two documentaries outlined, was like a big massive story for two decades, right? Reggie Miller brought in Spike Lee and that was like a, a niche enough story where it was more famous and popular. So the U definitely had a higher profile ah. than some of the earlier 31st. I think this was, this is what, disc this three? Is, this is so, all outside my wheelhouse. So this, Yeah, so this is disc three of the first set. So this, yeah, this is like films six, five or six or seven. Yeah, I had no idea 30 for 30 was even a thing until I met you. Well, it, well, really, and it I wasn't a thing until, like we were already together a couple years. It started of the 30th anniversary of ESPN. Is why it was oh. called 30. <laughs> so 30 for 30 started because it was 30 filmmakers telling 30 stories from the past 30 years of sports. Right, but I didn't know that it was because it was the 30th anniversary of ESPN. If I'm not mistaken, yes, I believe. Oh, okay. So that, that makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> I didn't really watch any sports until you and I got together. Why is that a surprise? Very true. Um, why is that a surprise? I don't know. Both these movies... Are good. They're both good. Um, I mean, they're fine. They're good. <laughs> I, you, I'm from there. I, so that's what I was going to get at was... Well, I'm not from there. I'm from North Miami, okay? I got a lot of class. Oh, boy. Wow. I got more class than, than South Miami there. Coral Gable. No, it's a lot different now than it was so in the 80s, I guess. So you didn't follow sports, but did but, growing up... Essentially, in the backyard of all of this, did you have any idea or knowledge of the mm -hmm. University of Miami? Was it on your radar well, no, at all? Obviously, I knew that there was a school down in Coral Gables. Didn't go to Coral Gables too often. Um, but once my aunt moved to South Beach, I kind of did go down there a little bit more frequently. But no, not it wasn't ever really anything I, I paid a lot of attention to. Um, if I did watch sports, it wasn't football. Right. Um, college football, especially, um, until I got older. And then, you know, I wanted to go to, to UF. And my best friend, Carly Coffey, her, her older sister was a Gator. I wanted to be a Gator, so followed the Gators. Yeah, I, um, I definitely knew. So I grew up in Ohio, obviously. What? And, and so I knew of Miami just because of... Like because my, there's an Ohio, like a Miami, Ohio. No. How do they say it? Miami of Ohio. No, no. They call it. They they say it differently. No, they don't. It's yeah. Miami of Ohio. They say, Mi Miami or something. I don't Weird. know who the fuck you've been hanging around with, but it's not that Ohioans um, knew of Miami as like a collegiate force because my mother and my grandmother were big. Basically, they were bandwagony fans. They liked Notre Dame. They liked the Florida State Seminoles, and they would eventually like the Ohio State Buckeyes. And the Hurricanes always kind of 
went up against them. And then when we moved to Florida, I became a Gators fan because I liked orange and blue and because our basketball team was good the year we moved down here. Uh, but also I understood that Florida was the better school. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not going to be a lawyer, so I don't have to go to Miami, mm. uh, which was all I really knew. Well, and also it's like private school versus public school yeah, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, 30 for 30 started in 2009. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, so the first one, uh, it's odd. I, I think I like them kind of both equally because... So here, here's my differentiation between the two. The first one was kind of jarring and surprising to me in that I definitely feel like if you made it now, like some, what, almost 15 years, 12 years after it started, I, I feel like it would have a little bit more of a pedigree or a little bit more of a glossy feel to it. It already felt old and out of date and cheaper than what I was anticipating for what I feel like the standards of 30 for 30 yeah, are now. It, it Especially for the caliber of the story that it was telling. Yeah, it didn't really is, look like a 30 for 30 or feel like no. it. The second one definitely did more, to me at least. Yeah, and I think also it had bigger people. Well, it had more recognizable That's kind of more what I was getting. More recognizable that, people? That's what I was getting at with my other critique was because yeah. I'm going to be biased towards the second one because... I lived through it. Like, right, and I, and I know all those people. Yeah, I, I was uh, in high school when all this was going on. I was, you know, basically who I am now, like making jokes about Willis McGahee's knee getting blown out of the back of his leg. And I, w- I watched one of those wide right kicks at Matt Levin's house and watched his dad freak out when it happened again. Like, you know, I, I have those personal connections. Yeah. So I'm able... To do it now, I think that the story of the first one is ultimately much more entertaining because it's the '80s. It's the growth of this program through three different coaches and this whole like powerhouse. And it's, and it's the, the up, the up. You see them come up, 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 right. and then. And it's also the fallout. They also do a better job of making it feel bigger and more important because it's connected to the culture, like the like the the you. And the Hurricane football team is a very 80s thing. Like, excess, pop culture, all these vibrant... Like, you have two live crew getting way too much credit and attention. Um, You have, like, the Catholics versus Convicts, which would be, uh, later on, its own 30 for 30. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't even tackle it in this documentary. They just go into another two-hour 30 for 30 onto that specific game and that specific t-shirt later on in the series. Yeah. Um, and, and I think also this, it was really pivotal because it showed a lot of how everything did change. They brought in, you know, black players and that yeah. really changed the program and changed it. Well, but it also, it went into kind of this unfortunately evergreen situation of mm-hmm. injustice. My, my note yep. was, very cool to see that injustice is evergreen, not... Right. And I said, I said, even in the 80s, white cops get off killing black people. Yeah, it's... I was it, like, it, it's disgusting. But it went into that, whereas the second one didn't go into that as much because right. the groundwork had already been established yeah. from the first one. It more so went into the double standard of the NCAA profiting off of these children, essentially, mm-hmm. you know. Growing the, young the, adults. These young adults. Yes. And having, you know, and the hypocrisy of them accepting money or, or handouts, whatever it may be, and then the ramifications of such, right. which was such a... So I'd seen both movies prior to this. Um, and I didn't realize how much of that takes the takes up the second movie cuz yeah. like I'm what we were watching it and it was already kind of late and you know it gets through them losing the championship game and I was like damn like man this is a, this went by really really fast and I was like oh there's like still 50 minutes left because they go into like the Nevin Shapiro stuff yeah so much so like that doesn't interest me as much as you know players rocking fatigues and, you know, basically thumbing their nose at the authority. And the first one still gets into some of that 
that pay to play, you know, bounty law. Yeah. You know, it stuff. does. It does. Mostly with Luther Campbell, which we might get to a little bit later on. But so those two things, kind of on a, a scale, on a University of Miami legal justice scale, kind of even out to be like equally enjoyable for me. Sure. Uh, as movies. Yeah. Um, did you have a preference on one versus the other? No, I mean, I think I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I just thought that they were both interesting. Like I said, I didn't really know a lot about this prior to these documentaries. Obviously I knew that there were scandals and the sanctions and stuff like that, but only on a very, um, very surface level, not too in depth here so so i like you know i always like learning about about new things so i'm you know feel like i'm more educated um but yeah i thought that they were fine documentaries Hmm. i mean i'm not i probably would never need to watch either of them again yeah you know what i mean like like if it drew if it came out the box i probably would but you know we already drew it for the box i don't think i will but you know i i I understand, like, I appreciated what, what the movies did with laying the groundwork of Miami. I mean, Coral Gables is a very diverse area, mm-hmm. and that's now, and that's, you know, not even when this happened, but people have all these things about Miami, and people talk all the time about, you know, in Florida, like, Florida's, like, mostly a Republican state. But, you know, whenever, like, the whole state is red, the places that are blue are usually Tampa, Orlando, and Miami. Right. Um, it's really, you know, interesting because, you know, up until like the seventies, like, like Miami was still semi segregated amongst at least Jewish people. I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine, you know, what I can't speak for what it was like for black people to live in Miami in the seventies. But, you know, when my mom moved to Miami, they couldn't live on a certain side of the street and that was in the seventies. Right. Right. Because they were Jewish. So it's, it's, I'm happy that they brought to life, like, some of those parts of Miami because some of those things still happen there. There's still a lot of racism, I mean, everywhere. But, you know, um, I liked seeing that and how they changed the demographics of the city because they did move to Coral Gables and they did integrate there and it was really good for the city and for the program itself. I liked seeing all of the Jimmy Johnson stuff. Sure. Um, I like, like, the speeches or whatever, like, in the locker rooms. Like, yeah. I, I liked the, uh, what I coached you to do, what I allowed you to do. Um, so, yeah, so I... And learning about that, because I, I hear the names, but I don't ever really, like, yeah. know what it was like. So I think that's kind of cool. So I, I did like the first one for, like, all of that. Because yeah, that f- stuff was way outside my the first one. Roles. The first one just kind of surprised me on what was focused on and what wasn't. So there's not a lot of focus on, like, the games and playing early. Like, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Howard Schellenberger is, you know, recruiting and, you know, making these proclamations. All of a sudden, like, they win a title. And it's like... We couldn't yeah. have we couldn't have like gradually got in there a little bit some more better easier, you know. When they win, like that whole segment is good, and I like that they focus on the coaches specifically in the first one because the coaches are such a pivotal part of the history of the University of Miami. But the lack of individual player focus was a surprise. Mm. I guess that kind of makes sense because it sh- it showed that they rose kind of as a team. I think that was my preconceived notion because I think of the University of Miami and I think of, you know, I think of, you know, Bernie Kosar and I think of Warren Sapp and I think of uh, Benny Blades and I think of mm. Dwayne Johnson who... You only see like in the very well. I know. He he wasn't a starter or anything. Like he was a he was a backup. Yeah, and, but you still could have gotten him to talk about the culture of the U. Yeah, I mean, so that's he, why he was there with the championship in the nineties. I mean, I don't. So, even... so that's what I'm saying. It was it was kind of surprising, and I think it hurt my initial enjoyment of the movie because I was expecting it to be. You know, I think of a lot of like the basketball documentaries, like the Fab Five, like. 
the um, the Bad Boys Detroit Pistons documentary where they they get into the characters that made this up, but really the character is the you the concept of the you itself and the team itself. Well, that's because you had to be you had to live that you had to live up to that to be sure. on that team. So I so I think so I think that's why that's the, the movie point. kind of the I, perceived so, bad boy the perceived the perceived you know attitude of sure. uh, of these of these so guys. instead so instead of getting into more individual player specifics you know getting an idea of the team dynamic and the team bravado and the team sure. fights okay, and whatever. Sure, okay, that makes sense. Like, that makes sense. I, it just, it took me a while to get into it because I had to pivot my expectations. Okay, I could see that. That, um, that makes sense. And also I was just waiting for the crime to start. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, uh, Michael Irvin's another one. Like, like, I was like, man, Michael Irvin should be all over this documentary. Yeah, and like he's there, like he's his there. presence is definitely felt. He, I think he was one of the better uh, interviews. He was great. He was great. But, I just, I, I love him. I think he's fantastic. I, I think he's great. But I, it, it was just kind of a little all over the place with where I thought the story was going. So that just goes to show, like my understanding of the story, it wasn't what I thought it was. Um, the best part to me was when they lose the national championship and then they focus on. Was his name Tad Foot, the the president of the University of Miami at the time, who like is not the LVP of the movie because you need that villain in the movie and like that individual is just like being who he is and fits the like the documentary scope, but probably as an actual human being was probably an LVP. But probably we, we, that's not what we're all about here. But that whole segment and section, specifically when Jimmy Johnson really gets involved and like just. Watching him listen to him talk <laughs> was so much fun. Um, and I just liked, so the thing I liked most about the first one, like I, I think I mentioned before, was just the coaches. All the coaches were just like good fucking solid dudes <laughs> that all had their strengths and mm-hmm. played them successfully. And you could just see their results and see the respect they commanded and see what a positive influence they were. Um, so for me, either uh, Schellenberger or Jimmy Johnson would be my MVP of the first movie because they stood out both in archival footage and both in their individual uh, interviews, like how yeah. engaging they were and why it was a success. Um, did you ha- Were you inclined to go with either one of them or somebody else? No, I think whoever you think did, did, did a more solid job... Um, I would say, oh, because we have to have two for, for, one for each movie, right? Well, no, we're, so there's, it's going to be somebody else for the second one. Right, I'm talking right. about I, specifically I for the U part one. I have to split it on, here, on my, on my, um, I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to go Jimmy Johnson. I, I just think Jimmy Johnson. Just because of like, he's so damn charismatic. That's it. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, you can't help but like, listen. You can't help but just smile. like him and smile. Right. So we're going with Jimmy Johnson for the first one. I, I, I do liked how, antithesis is the wrong word, but. Schellenberger was just very kind of subdued, that quiet warmth and confidence. What did he remind me of? He reminded me of something, of somebody. Um, Reminded me of Santa Claus. Yeah, okay. (laughs) A little bit of Santa Claus, but he reminded me, I feel like I just like watched something and it had somebody like that in it. Like, with that voice and just that. I don't know who you're referring to, but I'm sure I would agree with you. Um, I'll, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. The another thing that I thought was odd. Oh, was, you know. Okay, I know what he reminded me of. Um, who's the one who was in? Who's Words? the one that was in? Um, A Star Is Born. Not the one who played the brother, Sam Elliott. Yeah, he reminded Sam me of Sam Elliott. <laughs> like he remind, like just like the 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 like way he spoke not necessarily how deep his voice was but just like he spoke in the same like tonation and like um with the same like spacing as sam elliott don't try to do a sam fuck elliott. i want a sam elliott so bad for your brother uh, hold on uh, what are you talking about no <laughs> fuck no it's like i want Patrick sam elliott to Warm- kick down the door <laughs> want him to kick down the door and 
<laughs> fuck me up after that bad impression. It's like his character in Roadhouse would do. Um, yeah, I found, another thing I found odd was like they focus on that Cotton Bowl game a lot. And it's not a title game. It's just like they're particularly scummy. <laughs> like they're particularly themselves dialed up to like 14 in that yeah. game. And it really sets in motion like the rest of the movie about, you know, you know. Y'all have the, to behave correctly. Sure. And then also like the NCAA rules. Yeah. And it kind of has like an abrupt ending to the dynasty because Erickson, Dennis Erickson leaves and goes to the NFL just like mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson does. And then the, the legal troubles get more and more prevalent. And then that famous SI cover kind of gets more play in the second one. Right, that they should drop football. Like, the is, they one. should bring it back. Like, that's a very like, famous story. Well, they, they ran the story. Like, they yeah. ran it again after everything that happened from the second one. Um, I know, just... Uh, I think some better editing. A documentary lives can live and die by its editing, and sure. I think this one does a good job. But I think the editing made it a little bit more jumbled than it should have been. Or I think some focus could have been pulled in different directions to make the story more engaging and more interesting to watch. Um, as, at least for the first one. Uh, who are you thinking for LVP? Now, usually we struggle with MVP and LVP documentaries um, because... What are you judging off of? For me, this is what I'm always judging off of. I already kind of referenced it with uh, President Foote, which just sounds like a fake villain in a we Mel Brooks ju- movie. We need to give it to him. Uh, no. We just got... <laughs> just do it based off that, of names. Man, but I do that. it off of what they bring to the table in terms of a documentary. Are they entertaining? Are they engaging? Are they good speakers? Are... Is the amount of time that they're being focused on and the amount of time that they're being interviewed or shown worthwhile? Are they interesting? You know, like that's everything that I'm looking at and encompassing. So from this, I had four nominees. Uh, President Foote was one, but I already disqualified him because that's really just because he seemed to not be a great person, but he's valuable to the story that's being told. You need to have him there. Only because he, he was the MacGuffin of the story. You are... <sighs> ridiculous uh drew rosenhouse i just don't like so good at what i do uh i just don't like well drew that's drew rosenhouse what he says every morning when he wakes up and who, looks himself in the mirror he's that? the sports agent uh he's more prevalent in the second one it's not him i just wanted to point out how much i don't like drew rosenhouse uh my two actual nominees for lvp are luther campbell which pains me because i love two live crew i'm part of a three live crew shout out to my boys um, but he's way too present in this movie. And I get that later on, he is kind of like, uh, an illegal booster. And that, that segment of the movie is actually very funny where he's like, he didn't admit anything. He's like, if I'm going to take somebody out for like a bowl of soup or like they need a pair of sneakers that, you know, nobody else can pay for it. And he's just making jokes about giving he money. He didn't admit anything. So that's why I'm, I'm prone to let him off. But I, mean, I hated that there was, like, such a large chunk of the movie where he got focused. Well, it's, be, it's because it's because in a scandal, if there's boosters who you don't know the name of, mm-hmm. John Smith and Susie Q, you're not going to bring attention to them. You're yeah. going to be like, oh, this well-known rapper... Did these you know, illegal things. The writer of Me So Horny should be... Did, well, but, but you know, that's because that's what the focus of their investigation was. Like, oh, yep. this person who's famous did these things sure. because that's going to draw attention to it and that's going to make it bigger than it actually is. Of course. That's, uh, of course, what happened. That's why they were so focused on what he was doing back in, during the investigation yeah. and everything like that. Because you're not going to care what... John Smith is doing because who, who else is gonna care? Nobody. That's that's the whole. Point. He didn't sing. Hey, we want some pussy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so it unfortunately leads me with my actual LVP, which is Bernie Kosar, because uh, he's just so fucking sad to watch. So Bernie Kosar was uh, probably the most famous '80s Miami quarterback besides Vinny Testaverde. Oh, okay. Uh, he would later go on to quarterback. For the oh. Cleveland Browns, he oh. is like the poster. And the Dolphins. 
he is the poster child for he is very prevalent in the uh, thirty for thirty film broke. Uh, just from somebody that just got royally fucked out of his money and was not very smart. And it shows in his interviews. He just looks like, why would we just get some homeless guy to come off the street and be Bertie Kozar? Yeah, oh, didn't... fuck, that's just Bertie Kozar? That's just sad. He should, I feel like, been a lot more prevalent in this movie. And he's not because all of his interviews, to me, were just kind of a mess. Yeah, I mean, he was married. He's got four kids. He got divorced. She cited his reckless spending and bad investments. Yeah, Kozar, Kozar's you know, I, <laughs> Also, I can't give it to Uncle Luke because uh, that opening credit to the You song is just really, really cool. And you heard it at the beginning of the podcast. Just like at the end of the podcast, you're hearing the You Part 2 song, which is the Trick Daddy version. Great music in both these because it's, it's talking about the, the University of Miami and the Hurricanes. Of course, it's going to have good... Good music. Mm. Uh, so we're going to give it to Bernie Kozar? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're really going to lead the charge on these. I'm not invested one way or the other, and I can't really tell yeah, you I know. the names of most of these people. We um, also watched this like two weeks ago, so yeah. it's very hard for you to, to keep keep up. I try. Uh, do you want to give them scores at the end, or do you want to finish up part one now? now? Okay, so what's your uh, score for the U part one? I mean, it was it was fine. It wasn't anything special, you know? It was enjoyable. I learned some new stuff. I'll give it a give it a five and a half. I'm gonna give it a six and a half. Okay, I think that's fair. For score of six, I, I I think it's probably a little bit lower than what it should be. But I just I honestly didn't think that the quality was as as good as. It felt like a it felt like a cheap documentary yeah. that was thrown because on. Uh, the ACC college football yeah. channel. Comparing it to even like the two Escobars, like I think like the quality was just the it was just poor, not up to par on this on the on this docu documentary on this one. <laughs> I was trying to be really nice about it. Yeah, but instead you sounded like a white ass foghorn leghorn trying to make a point. I, I think I, I want to say I think this film this film wasn't it wasn't very good. <laughs> uh, so the U part two was probably a little bit You're more fucking ass up my man. speed. The same the opening kind of the same style, good continuity. Um, there was a good high level overview of all the crime that has taken place. Uh, to kind of bridge the gap between, like, eras of, of Miami. Um, and it's kind of hard starting off. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Because Butch Davis just isn't very interesting. He, again, he ends up being one of those good white dudes. Um, that? Uh, he was the, the coach, the, the first coach in the U Part 2. Okay. Um who like really built the program back up and then went to go fucking coach the Browns and failed miserably at that. Um, so yeah, he's just not very interesting until he starts talking about Trick Daddy and then I sit up and pay attention. Um, but it does a good job of kind of getting into the, the importance of the FSU rivalry because that's, I mean, that's everything. I mean, we went to we, know. we went to UF and go we Gators. know about the FSU Miami rivalry. You go know? Gators! Um, and then you get into the fun. Why is it that FSU has a rivalry with everyone? Then you get into the fun of the BCS, which I did not miss, which was a whole big controversial thing in college football for way too long. Uh, Florida is still better. It's all that matters. Um, <laughs> go Gators! Go Gators! And then it gets into the era that I really, really remember in, like, the early 2000s, which was the Larry Coker era, which I don't like how the movie basically just treated Larry Coker as, like, a fucking, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, an, a fuddy-duddy who was just kind of there. He was yeah. a substitute teacher, basically. And the players were like, man, we don't, we just need yeah. somebody to... We just need somebody to, to chaperone us on the bus. Yeah. Like, It hurt what? the overall story, and, like, the I, coaches have been so important to that so point. I was so disinvested in that yeah. coach because of them talking about it. And then when he starts getting interviewed, you're like, okay, yeah, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> like, he kind of proved them right. Um, but I'm, I'm shocked, again, at, like, the lack of focus on the individual players, which, again, I kind of get because you wouldn't have enough time. 
look at the fucking look at the, talent. Look at the talent that goes that to the came U. through. And some of the people who weren't even interviewed. This team. Well, and also, there was a lot that... Like, there's a lot of yikes as well. So, obviously, Sean Taylor, a less yikes. That's a that's a tragic situation where he was murdered, you know, and really wasn't necessarily for anything that he did. Yeah. Uh, Bryant McKinney's role, uh, and I know this as a Minnesota Vikings fan, in the infamous Fred Smoot uh, boat sex scandal. Um, shout out to having sex with Warren Mittens. That's just for Tony Colt and Rich Camelucci. Uh, Kellen Winslow, who is now, like, in prison for decades for, like, rape. Um, who was, like, one of my favorite players back then, uh, which sucks. Um, but even beyond that, just, the like, the players that aren't pieces of shit, like McGahee and Portis and Edron James and Reggie Wayne and Santana Moss and Ed Reed and Jonathan Vilma and Jeremy Shockey, and, like, there's, there's so a fucking lot. many. They're so good. I mean, and I think it was really interesting in the context of these t- documentaries, they talked about how many draft picks have come out of the Oh, yeah. I mean, it... It was a breeding ground. It is. I mean, and it's something about the culture. I mean, yes, a lot of it is homegrown from Miami, from that 305. Yeah. You know, but it, it it's just it's just something about that program, something about what they were able to build despite the scandals, despite everybody pressuring them to drop football, despite how bad they were at one point, right? Um... So, I mean, I think that that, I mean, it's a true testament to, you know, what they're able to do. And, and, you know, when the NCAA did put those sanctions on them and they weren't able to give out all of those scholarships, I mean, it's a private university. It's not like, you know, even when we had Florida Bright Futures, it's not like Bright Futures pays for all of it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these players wouldn't be able to have gone there without, you know, Miami recruiting them just for football. I did like how they said, um, I think it was in the first one, that they had to be creative and do, like, the track scholarship. Sure, yeah, yeah. No, like it was that. in the second one. It was in the second one. Yeah, because okay. that's how Santana Moss and his brother right, right. got Okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I thought um, I thought it, it was really interesting um, how they were able to do that. This movie excels for me. It, so, the big Nevin Shapiro chunk aside how much it takes up everything that kind of happens right before that. And immediately after that is my favorite stuff in the whole series, because this is everything you get. So you get the, the last little bit of the FSU stuff and wide left instead of wide, right. That was the one that I was specifically at Matt Levin's house for, because they were all calling it wide, right. And I was like, what well, it would be great if it just goes the other fucking direction. And it does. Um, and then the championship game, which they lost to Ohio State when my parents were still massive Ohio State fans living in Florida, and watching that game live and seeing Willis McGahee's injury happen, which is still one of the gnarliest fucking sports injuries. They don't even have the fucking balls to show it in the documentary. Yeah, I've seen it so I many times. I was so pissed. Just because I wanted, like, it is the most gruesome injury. And the commentators goes, that is a serious knee injury to Willis McGahee. And the other commentators goes, Yep. <laughs> it's such an anti it's such an anti-climax for what you see happen. Um so that leading to the blown call, the blown pass interference call that essentially cost them the championship, right? Like that that call is attributed to their downfall. Like they're never there ever again because of that one missed call. Um which I think is a uh I'm not positive, but I believe Billy Corbin, and again, now I'm wanting to say Billy Corgan instead of Billy Corbin. Um, I believe he is the same documentary filmmaker who made the Steve Bartman documentary. I'm going to double check that right now. I could be wrong. And I am. Uh, So never mind. (laughs) Um, Forget all of that. Yeah, forget everything I just said. Um... But it's an interesting angle to take it. And then it gets back into, like, the new era of them fighting and their bad reputation. Then you get Greg Olson rapping about his third leg. (laughs) Which immediately makes this movie better. Is when they get into, like, what the UM players are rapping in their dorm rooms when I'm, like, the same age as them. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, now I'm fully invested in this. Uh... I, I if was, I have, t- 
I was blown away. I did not know Greg Olson went to the U, one. And two, I didn't know he was so crude. So up to this point, uh, peel back the curtain for I mean, those of you listening. Uh, as of late, uh, it's I been... I definitely un- had him on some of my fantasy football teams. Oh, me too. It's been unnecessary for me to have to edit, and we have a coding system when we export our files on if I do or do not have to edit. And as of right now, I don't have to edit, but... We will have to note around forty nine minutes that I have to edit because I'm because uh, I already know the the songs that are going at the beginning and the end of this podcast. You best believe that I'm going to take the opportunity to drop in right now this unedited Greg Olson rap from the University of Miami. What's your name? G Reg. What you do? Get head. How you do? Drop my drawers and let us see my third leg. Chilling on the seventh floor. I gotta let these chickens know. Be Greg is in the house and I finna make these hoes choke. On my balls, on my dick, then I'm busting up quick. On a face, on a chest, stick my dick between the breasts. Come on, fellas, let's get weird. Stick your dick up in the ear while I'm laughing at these guys. A second nut all in the eyes. In the eyes. And we're back, and I have to apologize for everything Greg Olson probably just said. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, so of course, I'm going to be interested in that garbage. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, players are getting killed. The stakes are increasing. And then the booster stuff happens, and my interest weans, right? Because it's just this crummy, white boy, privileged con artist, Ponzi schemer that's, you know ultimately the second downfall of the university and i I hate that it kind of intersects with this bad time in their history with randy shannon as the coach who already had a a pretty famous reputation and it leads to like the orange bowl getting shut down in the midst of their worst shutout ever the very famous fight i think they had against fiu that got like multiple people fired it all just gets, like, entangled in this Shapiro stuff. Yeah, it was just and, so much back and forth. But then we get into, like, hookers and paying for, like, under-the-table abortions and all kinds of, like, other fun Miami stuff where I'm like, okay, let's get back to this. And I think they did a particularly good job of getting away from that focus and the issues that Miami had um, with the revitalization of the Sports Illustrated cover saying why they should drop football again. And it ended up becoming a discussion on how the NCAA is mismanaged and mishandled everything. And how I mean, Miami went from getting a death penalty like SMU, which is another uh, 30 for 30 will cover at some point Pony XS. Uh, and instead it led into, oh yeah, the NCAA is just horribly mismanaged and misrun. And it's a fucking sham, and we they can't even punish Miami the way that they probably should be punished because of how the NCAA has handled this in the first place. Um, and then, of course, it leads to the fucking Marlin Stadium, <laughs> which is I have not been at, but I feel like I've been at like nine times because I've seen just how gaudy and ugly and bright it is my entire time, my entire life. We've never been in Miami Marlin Stadium. We haven't. No, fuck no. Where did we watch? It's all done. If you're talking about wrestling shows, they're all in football stadiums. They're not in baseball stadiums. Oh, okay. Or at least like manias are. Like, yeah, that's uh, that was at the Dolphin Stadium, uh, MetLife. Got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so all that stuff interests me, <laughs> but the Donna Shalala, Nevin Shapiro stuff. I get you have to get that stuff, but also the thing that bothered me. I don't think he's going to end up being my LVP, but there was way too much focus on, like, Randy Phillips, the player, um, who wasn't, like, the most articulate or interesting... Who was that? What player was that? Uh, I, I, think he was a, I think he was a defensive player. He really dominated, like, the Nevin Shapiro talk. Sure. I think he was one of, like, the people that kind of flipped on the situation, but also was, like, still sticking up for what, like, Nevin did for him. I just didn't think he was an interesting interview subject, uh, and I also don't think he represented what the the filmmakers were necessarily trying to say. I think that there were many other players that did a much better job of it, and he was had way too much screen time just because he was a little bit more candid and blue than some of the other ones were. Uh, he's still not my LVP, though. Uh, so my LVP list, I had Dan Levitard written down. Again, that's just because... I have a love-hate relationship with Dan Lebetard. Um, 
Again, I was just tired of seeing him, but he does a good job at what's trusted to him to do. And also, he was actually being a journalist and breaking some of these stories, so it was fine for him to talk about them in this era, as opposed to the U Part 1. I already mentioned Larry Coker, and also already mentioned Kellen Winslow. Um, Jeremy Shockey is just an idiot. And sticks out like such a sore thumb in this documentary to me that he is my LVP. Really? Because look at what so many of the other players, even Randy Phillips, were able to emote and vocalize about their time there. Every time it gets to Shockey, I feel like I'm just watching a a 4 by 4 have a conversation. It's just, yeah, man, we did it, and it was fun, and like, you know... Like, he's just a goon. <laughs> I've never liked him. Oh, man. And that's part of my struggle of, like, watching him and looking at him and being like, okay, I know I don't like you, but I'm sure you're going to bring... And then he starts talking, and I'm like, oh, you bring nothing to the table. Your career, your life has been predicated around running a few feet and catching a football and getting tattoos. <laughs> and that's about it. So he would be my LVP for the U part two. And I know it's probably going to piss Augie off, even though Augie probably hates Jeremy Shockey because he spent his entire, uh, most of his career with the New York Giants, uh, winning two Super Bowls with them, in fact. Um, but not a, not a fan. And also, yeah, oh yeah, no, I didn't like not him. A, not a great person. I didn't like him. Um, so you're fine with that? Yes. Good. Uh, who are you thinking for the MVP of the U Part 2? Um, I'm thinking... I have one with a bullet, but I want to see if you picked up on it at all. Let me see. My notes here. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think we, we already talked about Michael Irving doing a really good job. I don't think he was in this movie at all. The U Part 2? Mm-hmm. If so, it was very brief. No, he wasn't it. He had a lot, especially towards the end of the interview segments. We talked about him doing a good job. In part one? No, part two. He was in part two. I don't remember that, but... I'm pretty sure he was in part two. Now I'm just confused. <laughs> they all kind of blend together. Anybody else? Uh, well, now I'm... I don't know now. <laughs> What the fuck? Just hopefully you say a football player's name and you're fine. Santana Moss? I did like Santana Moss as well. Uh, he was in the second part, right? Yes, he was. He was not in the first part. Um, my MVP for part two was Ed Reed. Because Ed Reed, I've always liked as a player, number one. Very articulate, very passionate, very calm, smooth presence in the interviews. But then when you see the archival footage and see his leadership, particularly when he got that so- that shoulder injury, and he's yelling at the team like, yeah, my fucking shoulder's hurt, and we're still going back out there, just showed what a dichotomy he could be both on and off the field. So I loved everything about Ed Reed in these movies. I also like Jonathan Vilma as well, particularly I think he was the most uh, interesting uh, player in like the whole Nevin Shapiro stuff and how... He renamed, like, the rec room after him, after Shapiro got his name taken off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the, the things that I, those are the two that I particularly like. Also, I know somebody who played high school football with Jonathan Vilma and talked about a smart, nice guy he was, so it always helps. Um, but my vote would be for Ed Reed. Yeah, I think he did a, a good job. I'm looking here, yeah, I think he did a good job. On it. And Jonathan Vilma was the other one. Yeah. You are so... Normally I would yell at you for just intently staring and typing on your phone. No, I'm just trying to remember who they are. so confused. Well, because I'm trying to remember who they are. Oh, I did like Jonathan Vilma. I thought he did a really good job in the documentary. I I did I did like him a lot. Um, do I like him particularly more than Ed Reed? I or? think I may, yes. All right, I'll, I'll give it to you. Just because... I, it's rare that I get no, I that much he, out of you. I, so. th- I thought he did a really good job. I, I liked, you know, the way that he he spoke about... 
He was candid and honest about situations. Go, right, going through everything and... and educated, uh, charismatic. I'll give it to you. So Jonathan Milma, the MVP of the U Part 2. Close second for Ed Reed. And then the LVP for the U Part 2 was Jeremy Shockey. Uh, was there anything about either of these movies that made you want to go to the University of Miami instead of the University of Florida? Absolutely not. Same. Uh, <laughs> I knew that was going to be very, very quick and just wanted to, to tackle it just in case. I mean... I'm shocked there has not been a UF 30 for 30 at all because we went there and we had four national championships, two football, two basketball. Those basketballs were back-to-back. We had Tebow, Noah, Horford, like some... some we had some big some names. Big names. And we also, we weren't without controversy. Urban Meyer's names always come up in certain circles. He's a very polarizing figure a lot of times you can't argue with his success he's won championships everywhere he's gone like probably except jacksonville now um so we'll see we'll see if anything comes of that but it's a a moment in time i'm interested to see if miami can ever dig themselves i don't know what it's been fuck what like 15 years 20 years and i don't follow college football at all anymore so I don't know if they've right. even been close, but I don't feel like they have been to like even being part of, I know they haven't been part of like the new like college football playoff that they have, but they still do those okay. big, they still do those other bowl games that are still for like the top teams. And I don't feel like they've even been in any of those. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Miami is still very much on like the downward slope. So I'm interested, interested to see if they ever pick themselves out of it. I think FSU's kind of been the same way. Like, the Gators haven't been lighting it up, but at least every year yeah. we're kind of in the SEC championship picture. We can, you know, be close. But the other two has definitely been a downward downward slope for them for quite some I time. Thought that, I thought that so they... So they deserve it. I thought that they... I thought that Miami had a good year recently. I have no idea. This is how um, out of the loop I am. I thought that they had a good year recently. Right? Oh, so in 2020, they finished number 22. In, out of 25, the U. Well, that's still pretty good. I mean, if you finish in the top 25, that's better than not, which they've had done on several occasions. Okay, well, last year they finished... There's it. not just 25 college football teams, Samantha. Well, I know. It's, it's the AP <laughs> top 25. Yeah, but the way you made that sound, like they finished 22 out of 25. It's like, no, that's good. <laughs> They're ranked. Okay, and in 2019... I don't know. I would pay so much Six money. Seven. I would pay so much money to watch you get hired as a temp stat girl for ESPN. Oh, yeah. Let me... Just watching Tony Reality's job would be safe forever. Just with you like clicking and clacking at a keyboard and a phone. I they were twenty second out of twenty five. They weren't very good. No, that actually means they had a winning record. They won their division. You're like, I, they, they win six out of seven. Wait, they won six games out of seven? That's great. No, no, no. They were not. six and seven? Six and seven. Yeah, that's bad. Yes, I just said that. That was the year before. University. <laughs> God damn it. What's your score for the U part two? Yeah, now you're making me feel really self-conscious about myself. Florida, UF was 13th. Yeah, we've been good as Is a Is that right now? I think that... It's May. There's no football going on right now. No, this is most recent. Most recent is what I meant. Not right now. I meant most recent. What is your score for the U part two? Huh? I'm going to give it the same Give it score. a five and a half. Five and a half. I'm going to give this one a seven. I'm going to go a little bit better. So this one will get a 6.25 from me. Uh, just because of, like I said, that little... That little kind of pulpy stretch where you're getting into my wheelhouse of memories and living through it. And, you know, it's just fun seeing, like, Ken Dorsey again and (laughs) some of these players. It's just more entertaining for me personally. I think the first one probably was a better documentary, but this one gets the half-point bump just for my own personal enjoyment, so... A 6 for the U, part 1. A 6.25 for the U, part 2. And uh, we're st- I'm still 2 up on you on our reading challenge, correct? Yes. Beautiful. Next week will be my nominated movie, Good Boys. Then after that, our final wrap-it-up movie, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. 
Then after that, it'll be the movie that Samantha's about to randomly draw out of the box right now. Samantha, stop typing on your phone. Reach in there. Please don't make a mess out of that box, which you already basically have done. I'm going to th- throw all of them in the garbage. Well, then you're going to dig them all out and you're going to rewrite all of them. Okay, what are we hoping for Just here? Just read the fucking movie. Gosh. What? Oh, man. The Maltese Falcon. Ooh, okay. Going old school. Old school. I don't know how I feel about this. 40s, 50s. I think it's the 50s with, uh, I think that's Bogey. Good old Humphrey Bogart there. I've seen this movie before. 1941. John Huston, Humphrey Bogart. I've seen this. Hell yeah. Seen this movie before. I don't think I have. I have. This is probably like one of the greatest films of all time. This is like regarded as like the noir to end all noirs. So, the Maltese Falcon. Okay. Very, very good. That'll be coming up in just three weeks' time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Married with Movies. We encourage you, as always, go to arcadeaudio.net for this podcast and the others on our network of shows. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Go to patreon.com slash arcadeaudio for bonus content, like our game series that's hopefully going to be starting here over the yeah, summer. I hope so. Um... Also mentioned earlier on the show, MeredithMovies at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. If you want your thoughts shared about the movies or the subject matter that we're discussing, we'll read it on the show. Same thing, at MeredWMovies on Twitter. Facebook.com slash MeredWithMovies for, your, uh, for yours truly, at your host, Mullet38 on Instagram. For my Instagram live show, Box and Friends, uh, which I'll be showing off collectibles and having fun conversations with friends and raising money for charity. And my retro wrestling diary, arcadeaudio.net slash podbloggle, every single Friday, where I am about to wrap up the year 1993 over the next uh, about month or so. Samantha. Oh, yes. At Jam with your Sam. That's it. <laughs> you make such a big deal out of it. That's all you have. That's all you do. And you never do anything. Man, I don't have the time. And I'm not that interesting. I know, so stop interrupting me about the interesting things that I have to promote for your nonsense. Yeah, but, but your, your stuff is only interesting because of my added value. That is maybe the boldest lie that's ever been told on a recorded medium. That is not true. I've listened to your thousand episodes of podcasts. That's what you're, I was going to say, like, Joseph McCarthy or something. Oh. Not like me. <laughs> Trump was president for four years. I've heard some of the shit you've said. For Mullet. This is Mullet. Signing out for this week's episode of Married with Movies. We'll catch you next time on our couch. Slash the movie. Samantha making a list of all the biggest recorded liars in history. And it's like, oh, Chris Mullet, then Trump, then Hitler. You probably have Hitler over Trump because you're you. I say that like a bad thing. I don't know, but I'm slightly offended. That's why you're number one. That's why that statement right there is why you're the first on the list. All right, slightly I got off light there. Douchebag. Trail five. Number eight. Dean County. Y'all already know what time it is. Throw them yous up. Throw them yous up. We gon' let the band deal with this. Stepping out the door on them big body things. Feel by the city, we the home team. You already know it. We gonna turn it up, kick things on deck. All yeah. that win is bad, and we the you home team. Know. You already know. When it comes to the crib, we all gon' go. Here we gon' go fast. If you put on pass, we gon' get in that ass. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.